Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Hey, monkeys. We're back. Larry Morgan here. Today, we're talking with Karen Mason, very talented actress, singer, star of stage and screen, a recording artist, and currently playing Madame Giry in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Love Never Dies, the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera, currently touring the U.S., and playing at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles until April 22nd, and then moves to the Sagerstrom Center for the Arts in Costa Mesa from the 24th through May 5th, and then moving on around the country. Check loveneverdies.com for more info. Great conversation. She's delightful. She's award-winning. She's talented. And she's next. Thank you so much for talking with us. This is really exciting. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. All right. So uh, Love Never Dies. You were just telling me that you this tour ultimately will have taken a year when it's all said and done. About a year and three months. Actually, yeah. our final date is December 2nd now. And that's how many cities? Oh, wow. I A lot. <laughs> you don't even know the number. I don't even know the number. Although would we that, just if had If you our... knew the number, would that intimidate you and you not want to think about it? <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. It's It's been very exciting. I mean, we're at our 200th. I think we just had our 202nd performance, not including the previews. Wow. So we've, you know, been, as a company, um, scouring the United States for, yeah. for many months. And this, now, considering your career, which is storied, and we can talk <laughs> about that, but you, this is the first time you've done a tour this long, you said. Yes, it is. I, I did um, a Christmas story for three months, but... But that was the longest until this time. And now we've been out since September 26th. Now, I want to go over a little of your storied history in a minute. but uh, <laughs> so uh, And we're going to be talking to Lara Scott, one of my uh, cohorts in the radio world, because she hasn't been able to stop talking about the show and, oh, and you. Isn't that well? I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. <laughs> I'm definitely sick of hearing... Well, I can change that. Well, <laughs> I definitely am sick of he her singing the songs to me, but it, it, I can overlook it. Her enthusiasm is infectious. So, But I, I have to admit, I have not seen the show. So tell me, convince me as a non-believer at this moment, we're going to role play here. Oh, brother. Why do I need to see a sequel to Phantom of the Opera? All right. I think you need to see it because do you have a wife, a girlfriend? I have a wife and a girl. No, I have Excellent. a wife. No, I do have a wife. <laughs> okay. <You're... laughs> a loving, understanding wife <laughs> who gets my sense of humor. <laughs> that was a good save, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, it's a very romantic story, mm -hmm. and I think you'll score big points by bringing <laughs> your wife. Uh, it's very romantic. It's about love. It's about 
passion. Um, it could be about obsession, um, you know, yeah. which can be a little daunting. But it's it's uh, passion about uh, a muse, passion about an art. And, you know, I think the music is so beautiful. It's one of Andrew Lloyd Webber's best scores, I think, because it's got so many different types of uh, songs in the score itself. It's got it's a beautiful production. So even if, you know, you are not buying the story, but your wife is having a great time. <laughs> right. It is so beautiful, right. this production. And um, certainly Madame Giry is reason enough to come see the show. Wow. Okay. So we're promoting our own character <laughs> I here. Yes, I am. No, uh, I'm kidding. Well, of course you, you know, should. It's, uh, it's, we have an incredible company of actors. I was mentioning earlier that... Um, I've never worked with a group of people who, after this number of shows, is still committing to it the way that they do. And it's uh, his shows talking about uh, ALW, Sir ALW, the Lord, the Lord. um, They're they're strenuous shows. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, all of them have always been. They're very active. They're very, uh, you know, am I, is that the right kind of term oh, for Oh, absolutely. It? You have it's to strenuous. really give your all. Right. And you have to be quite good at what you do yeah. to be able to do the show. I mean, the singers in this show Demanding, are, I guess, is maybe the word I was yeah, looking for. Because yeah. it's, it's not, um, they're not simple melodies. They're right. not simple emotions. They're not simple storylines. It's very large and larger than, you know, most simple stories. These are very big, grand stories yeah. and soaring melodies and complex characters and their interactions with each other. Uh, you know, it's very... It's it's a very passionate story and very beautiful. I think these shows, and especially his shows, um, it, it, when you have that kind of talent there, you have to be able to hold up to the theatricality of the of the presentation right. because there there's always uh, you know big moments. There's there are big visual moments right. which you want from the theater, absolutely. But you don't want to get lost in that. And it, these characters need to come to life, and the talent has to kind of live up to that. Well, it so, is walking that fine line yeah. between really telling the the intimacy of the story, but also matching, like you say, matching the soaring melodies and the bigness of the production. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's constantly starting telling the story from the very beginning every night, every performance. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it takes a certain talent to be able to do that and not give it all away in the first five minutes. <laughs> all right. So pick us up where you left, where we left off. If, uh, and I'm trying to kind of remember it now. Uh, it, it, does your husband need to be Heimlich? Are you, is he going to be all right? <laughs> <laughs> or My maybe husband, he just got so choked up by you it. reliving yeah. the emotion <laughs> of the story. It's all right. This is a podcast. Nobody cares. It's a cough. Oh, okay. It's a cough. <laughs> Nothing oh. so dramatic. Oh, and he has to get on a plane soon, too. Yeah, so he's just, I know. oh, he's going to get sicker. Um, so, uh, end of Phantom of the Opera. Yes. And Giant Chandelier Crash. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> 
<laughs> just in case. Anyway, how 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 does this pick up? Where does this pick up from the end of that story? Well, there's a can, bit or, of can <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. It's you know most one of my first lines is ten long years. So yeah. supposedly it's ten long years, although chronologically, according to the story, the story of Phantom and now the story of this one. It's a little bit longer, so we're kind of playing with timelines a little bit. But it's it's ten years of of Madame Giry helping the Phantom to escape Paris and getting him to a place in the New World that um you know, freaks and and people who weren't your your mainstream people could go, which was Coney Island. Oh, yeah. And so the story is set in Coney Island with a beautiful, you know, freak show and circus acts, and it's. So the outcasts and the outliers of entertainment are all kind of gathered there. All right there, and kind of like uh, (laughs) I was going to make a joke. I don't. Were you going to say radio? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I actually was. Thank you, thank you for doing the joke for me. All of show business is outliers. All of us just have to. (laughs) Yeah, all of us freaks you don't have to look at. That's perfect. Oh my god! I really now see you should have led with that. Now I really want to see the show. Now, Karen, Lara Scott has uh, has seen the show, and yes. you, so you don't need to do any convincing with her. And we're going to let her right in front of you <laughs> review the show. I already kind of spilled the beans here that you found it mesmerizing and romantic, and you've been singing songs to me, and you've been talking a little, t- and you've been gushing over her. Oh my gosh, I was like, Madame Giry is the best, and I was telling you, Larry, because I follow at Karen Mason Diva on Instagram. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, she's smiling, and she's this beautiful blonde lady, and she's with her husband, and she's hanging out with friends. So my question, Karen, is how do you transform into this character that's, I mean, honestly, scary? I was that close. <laughs> I was terrified. You were so good. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I think beneath the heart of every rejected young Catholic girl, <laughs> it beats the heart of a lot of rage. And yeah. um you know, I was around a lot of severe nuns and my mother, and you know, no, there, no one knows how to be severe and angry like a Southern gal, and so I had a lot of good templates for for, for wow, that to draw on. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Wow. And um, listen, my mother's a beautiful, wonderful woman, but boy, she knows how to go to that because she, you know, grew up going to a Catholic school too. So um, you know, it was. I can draw upon that. I can draw Mm -hmm. upon that. Everybody's got that feeling of rage. You just have to know how to tap into it quickly. Well, well, I I grew up in the South, and I went to Catholic school. So maybe that's I am Madame Jury, actually. Yeah, I'm waiting to see that side of you, Lara. She's always so smiley and happy, like both of you, but there's there's a dark undercurrent that... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just need to find that out. Maybe it's the black wig, the black-haired wig, you know? Yeah, with like the braids. Yeah, Yeah, like all you need is the ruler, like the nuns had, right? Like, wake up, pay attention. But, you know, I was telling Larry, my husband and I had date night, and it's just such a beautiful, passionate story. It's the kind of of play where you just forget yourself, and it's so quiet in the Pantages, and everyone's hanging on every word. And I will say, I went in with an open mind, because I've seen Phantom of the Opera so many times.
many times that I knew this was going to be a little bit different from listening to the soundtrack. And you don't have to have seen the first one for it to make sense. Good. It was so good. But so the show got out about 1045. You know, I'm cry- I've cried all my makeup off at that <laughs> point. You know, I'm just like, no photos at this point. And we stayed at a hotel because Nana was in town to watch the kids. My husband immediately conks out. I was up till 2.30 in the morning because I, I couldn't calm down. I was wow. just still kind of riding that emotion. What do you guys do after this? I mean, do you just, you know, go meet up with Paul and have a cup of tea and go to bed? <laughs> do you go out to dinner? Like, what do you do after just putting, like, leaving it all on the stage, oh. basically? Well, what I do is very glamorous. I go home and have um, chips and hummus. <laughs> I get in my pajamas, take off all my makeup, and then just try to decompress for about an hour and a half. Yeah, and then you have to do it again the next day. Yeah. Sometimes twice, right? Yeah, on yeah. Our, the, the schedule, for the most part, on the tour has been five shows on the weekend. So mm-hmm. we have one Friday, two Saturday, two Oof, Sunday. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's grueling. And so usually our Monday is spent... Um, kind of horizontal sleeping. <laughs> is there a uh, good mindless trashy TV that you like to decompress to? Is there any, anything <laughs> yeah. like that? Actually, I just got turned on to a, a show called Nailed It, which is Bad Bakers. And we're trying to, we, I, and it's hysterical. So we're trying to figure out a way we can get on it because it is so funny. Oh, yeah, let us know if you do. <laughs> yeah. I knew it would be a reality show. Those are the best ones that literally like take yourself out of the fantasy world and just watch other people do something either miserable <laughs> or to do with food. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have to get back in and make sure we don't have dead air on K-Earth. But yeah. Karen, thank you for letting me jump in and just tell you that I think thank you're amazing. You. Oh, so, thank you so much. Yeah. It means the world. Thanks thank for what you. you guys do. It was a, a wonderful experience and I hope everybody sees Love Never Dies. <laughs> wow. Okay, <there> <laughs> Listen go. to that. There's your promo. <laughs> we can change the creative. Thank you, Lara. There Thanks, you go. Lara. Uh, let's uh, let's shift away from the show because I'm just I am fascinated. I love talking to creative people about kind of their journey. You um, were born in New Orleans. Did I remember I that was, correctly? Yes. Yeah. But you lived in different areas for a while. Yeah, my dad around. got transferred. You yeah. know, and so he was uh, a salesman, and we kept going farther north until Chicago, Illinois, and oh, well, wow. Arlington Heights is where we ended up, which is a suburb. Do you feel a connection to the South, or were you there so briefly that it uh, uh, couldn't? Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah. by the I was four when I moved, yeah. but all my relatives were down there, so I do feel a connection. And mm-hmm. certainly, having two Southern parents, you know. New Orleans natives, um, I, I do feel a connection down there. But I listen, I don't get down there very often. Yeah. And it's a, 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 an incredible city. Yeah. It's got great magic. Oh, yeah. Talk about talk about freaks. I mean, yeah. I mean that in a good way. New Absolutely. Or- New Orleans is like its own universe, and but in the best way possible. Yeah. Well, that's where the magic is. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes with the freaks comes all the magic. Absolutely. And um, yeah. By the way, no offense to any freaks out there because we <laughs> both readily admit, Karen and I, that we are part oh, of the tribe. So, heck yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things you can call someone that when you are one yeah. so okay good uh, I'm glad we got that out there too how many people have we offended so far uh, what, what was the uh, there's always that little moment what was the moment for you where that little uh, switch flipped and you were like oh this this is what I want to do it I, was high school yeah. actually I I knew I liked you know singing we always had music around the house mm-hmm. Um, my mom was uh, being trained as a concert pianist, and she just loved music. And so we always had uh, Beethoven and Sinatra and all kinds of things in the house. And when I was in high school, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. 
And we did not do really great shows. The boys' school did the did did the great shows. Oh. They did the musicals. So I went over there and auditioned, and got cast as a townsperson in Annie Get Your Gun, and uh, had my first line. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, I kind of like this because I was an outcast. Yeah. I was, you know, I was I was shy and and. And, you know, I just had this horrible self-image. So to be on stage and be able to be someone else was fantastic. That's it, right? I mean, when you're in that, adolescence is already so painful. And if you are not part of a particular group... It's always it's trying to figure out how do you express yourself. Where, right. where do you where do you get to be the person you want to be? Right. And but it's strange though when it ends up being pretending to be somebody else. But yeah. it's still yeah, well. <laughs> but but part of that is an expression of yourself. I mean, right. is that so? That's you felt at home in that. Yeah, way. I felt totally at home. In fact, that's always the phrase I use. Mm. That it was, I felt finally at home, and um, uh, of course I also did audition because I needed to find a date for prom. So it was kind of a <laughs> dual purpose thing. You needed to be around the men folk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And so uh but I did find a career choice uh-huh. and you but know I'm sorry you you totally skipped over that. Did you get a date for prom? No. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I brought up a painful memory. Yes, it it still scars me to this day. But you got a career and you and you got your husband. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I got my husband, who's also in show business by the way. He's a record producer and a songwriter. So, you know, we uh, you... we understand each other, which is good. Um, but you know, I I just always loved it and couldn't get enough of it. Um, usually to the detriment of my savings account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's all part of the, the journey, isn't it? Right. Give me some of the other uh, shows you did. I mean, did you work your way up to leads? Did you have kind of these big goals to you know I want to be the I want to be so and so in this and. Uh... Um, you know, I think I've always kind of tripped into my career. <laughs> what? Yeah, I when the next year in high school, I got um, a role. I played Mrs. Peru in in The Music Man. So I started playing the older women. I was doing a lot of older women in my career when I was younger. I was eighteen and playing, you know, a forty, fifty year old woman, well, Irish at, woman. At by that the way. point, you like to tell yourself, "See, I have range. I have <laughs> I range. range. I will always have a career." <laughs> And uh, but it, it seemed to be pretty true too, and and I was doing a lot of community theater, and and at one point I just thought I really need to get closer to the people who are getting paid for doing what I'm doing for free out in the suburbs. So, living that close to Chicago, I went and auditioned at a restaurant called Lawrence of Oregano's. <laughs> And no, it wasn't. Oh, yes, it was. It was not called Lawrence <laughs> of Oregano's. Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> yes, it was. It was a lettuce entertain you restaurant, and it was Italian. And I was high. I thought I was going to be a waitress. I went in basically singing. I auditioned, and they liked me. So I thought they were going to make me a waitress, but they did not. No one would ever hire me as a waitress. They hired me as a hostess, which. Mm-hmm was fine, but uh, I <laughs> wasn't very good at that either. I was really good at the singing part, though, and met the gentleman who I'd worked with for 16 years, whose name was Brian Lasser. And we just clicked um, and started doing private parties and cabarets and concerts in Chicago. And 
um, creating, a, a, you know, a real niche for ourselves, a niche, um, yeah, oh. for ourselves, and in Chicago, and really, though, wanted to be in New York. So we moved in 78, 79, and he was a songwriter and a um, uh, uh, arranger and my music director, Um so we, you know, just kept working, doing cabarets. We worked. We opened so many places in New York, so many oh, lovely cabarets. Great, but that's a great thing to say is like because I don't know of any many places where you could say that other yeah. than New York. We yeah. opened a bunch of cabarets. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's such a kind of throwback thing to say. But there still is a lot of support for, you know, great songs and an intimate setting and just that feel, that vibe that... Uh, Absolutely. You yeah. know, when we, even when we first moved there, when I, you know, people would say, oh, cabaret's over, cabaret's over. And yeah, it morphs. It's, you know, sure. theater, all of the arts morph all the time. But cabaret's still here because people still have a need to connect. And and to hear to be able to walk into a cabaret, which you know it's a different experience from the the hugeness of a theatrical experience and cabaret or any other concert, you know, where you're a little right. removed. I mean, it, it, you're still alive there, but when you're when it's one or two voices and you're really close and you're right. sitting around a table and you're having a cocktail and it's, and you're just hearing a great song right. and you're seeing the talent that up close and you're just feeling the voice of it it feels like a shared yeah. um you know i okay i know what you're thinking and yes. you know what i'm thinking and we're going to be okay yeah. there there's i that's what i think i just love about cabaret is that communication that sharing communication i probably walk away feeling as as supported as the people in the audience thinking, you know, oh, she sang that song, and you know what? That's kind of what I'm going through right now. I, I, that's in, I, actually that brings up something because you can kind of like when you talk to people who do stand up comedy, for instance, and they continue to do it because of that. I mean, they like to do you know big venues or do movies or whatever, but they keep going back to that type of venue because of the shared experience. But yeah. they get. You, you you know you're going to get applause, but they get laughter to what they're doing or whatever. But you f- you you feel something, don't you? Yes, I mean, you absolutely. know you know when you've connected, right? Yeah. Oh, you absolutely feel it, right. and that's one of the gifts of and one of the skills you acquire after doing years of intimate, you know, clubs is that you really know when they're with you and when they're not. Yeah. And um, you know, the trick is for me is not to start. It's not necessarily with words, but to start begging for them to like me. <laughs> you know, it's right. if you just calm down and just do, you know, the show, right. people will come to you for That's the most part. Much like I feel about stand up comedians, that, I mean, I can't sing, not really, but that feels scary to me. I mean, you do feel very vulnerable oh, in that it situation, is. right? I've had actors who I think are brilliant actors say to me that they would never do a cabaret yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it's just too exposed. No, I can get up in front of I've introduced acts at the Hollywood Bowl and been and talked to, you know, I was just at a department head meeting that I should have been because the COO was in there and I should have been scared. I didn't mind that. But don't 
I'm not going to tell jokes or try and sing in front of people because that scares the living daylights out of me. <laughs> so hats off to you. Well, thank you. But see, I could not do what you do. So I, it's that's, you know, thank goodness we've all found oh. where we belong. Well, we, we, we're just different parts of the freak show is what you're talking <laughs> about. Right. Now, you've been doing the cabaret thing, if I can call it that. Yeah, I mean, sure you, you can. Where, where we left off in your history, you've been doing that. Essentially, uh, parallel to also your stage career. Oh, and absolutely. So, and, I mean, in fact, then you just, I did a little uh, research on you, just won an award. Uh, is it, they, do they call it the Mac Awards? Yes, they do, yeah. yeah Actually, is, I won two. Now, yeah, well, look at you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, it's the Manhattan Association of Cabarets. Right. Or, you know, concerts, cabarets. Right. And it was started quite a few years ago. Actually, it was, of course, there when it began, because I've been in New York for so darn long. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, the, the, uh, it's, it was a really great way for us to acknowledge the people who are doing cabaret mm-hmm. and the people who, um, you know, continue to do it and and work to make sure it stays alive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I won for best uh, CD, which my husband actually produced. Paul Rolnick. So we won it together. You want to plug it? Go yeah, ahead sure. It. It's Come called. On. It's about time. There we go. And it's a great. Um, the the title cut is. Actually, written by Paul Rolnick and Shelley Markham, who's a Los Angeles um, music director and songwriter. And it was written for um, uh, some friends of ours who were just getting married, a gay couple who were getting married. They asked me to sing at their wedding, and I said, Paul, you have to write a song for these guys. So he finally listened to me and wrote this song called It's About Time. And it's about love, it's about life, and it's about time. And it was right after marriage equality had passed in New York State. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Lovely. And so I was very proud of that. And then I also won Best Celebrity Artist. Wow. I know. Look at you. It's it's always lovely to be acknowledged. It really is. And what an interesting way to kind of carve out your history, which is you've got, I mean, uh, you're you're doing an art form that is very specific, and and cabaret is one thing, and you're doing, as I said, you were doing this parallel to, you know, doing some stage work. Mamma Mia was a big show for you, huge deal. Tell me about that experience a little bit, because that became Mm. such a phenomenon to the point where it's kind of become something everybody knew it became a punchline became a movie and now it's come back to being kind of like oh but i love that show it's like cool again i mean it's one of those mainstays where it's almost like making fun of cats it's like well you can make fun of anything but when it lasts that long and people still flock to it right there's something special going on there yeah well i mean it is it's just fun if you can just let go of what you think you need to you would to experience in a theater right you'll go and have a great time and the interesting thing about mama mia when we opened it was that it was almost a month and a half after 9-11 in new york so we were rehearsing when 9-11 happened and it it makes things just so different yeah you know how you respond to silly choreography you know when... at the time you must have wondered why are we even doing this silly show but they, then... they actually can they were well for us it was a great distraction of course from because we were rehearsing not about a mile above oh, where wow. uh 
9-11 was. And so it was a great distraction and a great way to solidify our cast because everybody wanted to do something to help, you know, the first responders and the people down in that area and also to take care of New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really a, a, a good in a horrible way, a good time for New York. Well, by the time the show opened, that city needed something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So, and we they were going to delay it. They yeah. were going to delay the opening. And I'm glad they didn't because that first performance that we did, it scared the living daylights out of me because yeah. I had never heard that roar of an audience when we came out for the curtain call, which they call the mega mix, and we came out in our white spandex, <laughs> and you know the girls are lifted up through the middle of the stage, and the roar of the audience was—I mean, it, at this moment I, I'm getting chills. Yeah, it, yeah. it, I'd never experienced that. Judy Kay said, "You know, that's got to be what." A rock concert feels like yeah. when you're on a stage. It was a release. I mean, yeah, it was, that absolutely. Was people in there saying, "Thank you for giving us right. this, this distraction." And that's what it became. That yeah. theater, actually, a lot of theaters became the sanctuary for yes. those two and a half hours, two hours, where I didn't have to, you know, smell smoke yeah. and yeah. and and be reminded constantly. It was. I was very proud of our our theatrical community during that time. Well, um, now, as as a New Yorker, you've uh, given us your uh, New Yorker bona fides, bona fides. <laughs> um, now you're stuck in L.A., in, in nasty old phony L.A. for a little while, doing <laughs> at the Pentagius and the Sagerstrom coming up. What, what's your What's your take on L.A.? What do you What do you think? I of like Los L.A. I'm not unhappy assume, here at all. I assume yeah. you're out here uh, occasionally for different things. Yeah, and I the Pentagius is. Oh my God! Great, right? It is so beautiful, and there's some history there too. I mean, yeah. that, that's such a there is. It's a different feel probably than your typical New York theater. It's it's kind of it's a little bigger. bigger. Yeah, yeah. It's a more open space, but it does have all of that um, that gorgeous. Uh, uh, you know the the from the twenties. I think it's the twenties. The twenties. Yeah. It's almost so Art Deco, and right. you know, and and. Beautiful, and then we're going to be at the Sagerstrom, which is which I hear is magnificent, yeah, state too. of the art, gorgeous place. Yeah. yeah, so you know, this is listen. If you have to work, this ain't <laughs> ain't a bad way to do it. And I'm in sunshine. You yeah. know, we spent quite a few months being in cold places. So there's, I would say that the cast of Love Never Dies is a little happier out here yeah in the sunshine it is the weather that usually wins people over <laughs> yeah and so far not much earth shaking so you haven't had to deal with that oh i would listen i was here during the uh northridge, northridge play? yeah really? i was doing sunset boulevard during that time and so uh i was out here for a year and boy that talk about a welcome to la yeah, moment there's a nice little memory for you <laughs> yeah uh, so, uh, Love Never Dies, still at the Pantages as we speak until yes. the 22nd. If you're listening to this after the 22nd, it will be at the Sagerstrom Center for the Arts in Orange County. For from two the weeks? From the 24th through May 5th. And just so you know where you're going, because apparently you don't seem to know, you will be in Seattle, 
then Portland, then Hartford, then Buffalo, then Greenville, South Carolina. That's a trek. Uh, <laughs> Nashville, Minneapolis, Houston. Just in case for people who are kind of finding us out there, because this podcast should be available to the world, you go to, it looks like, loveneverdies.com to right. find out. Because if you are- I con- go there. Uh, if you, <laughs> yes, we all do. That's where you get your tickets. If you are convinced now, as I am, that I need to see the show before you guys take off, um, that's where you can get information about where it's coming to your town. Karen, um, you are delightful, well, and thank you. I wish I feel like we could have talked forever, and you probably felt for a second like you were going to. But <laughs> I had a great time, Larry. Thank you so much. You are in demand today, so I would like to let you go. Is there any way you can sing us out with something? I, uh, a, a grand finale for wow, the podcast. Wow, do you want it from Love Never Dies? Or? I, I want you to, <laughs> it could be from anything. It could be from whatever off the, is off the top of your head, from your own CD from your favorite show of all time. Oh, what is your favorite show of all time? Uh, well, I have two. Okay, um, Gypsy and Funny Oof. Girl. Yeah, I kind of i uh, I typed out a Funny Girl, being a Midwestern Catholic girl. <laughs> you typed out, typed out of that one. <laughs> uh, but I sing the score all by myself, and um, I love Gypsy. Yeah. Mama Rose is. Uh, well, Killer roll. You know what I'm going to ask for then as oh. we go out. Okay. Well, I'm right. going to have to move a little farther away yeah, from I'm going the... to pull the mic down because yeah. I have, you, if you, <laughs> you know, these uh, trained singers, they're just going to blow the roof off the joint. I, right. You haven't warmed up or anything, and I know this is probably... I have not. Probably, it's uh, going to be the, a different key than the show. The worst thing to ever do, but this is the best way to go out. So, okay. Uh, Karen Mason, a delight to talk to you. Thank you. All right. Here we go. Y'all be... Well, you'll be great. Gonna have the world on a plate. Starting here, starting now. Honey, everything's coming up roses. Dee 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 dee. <laughs> oh, that was my cue. I should have been the orchestra. Damn it. <laughs> All right, we should rehearse these things, Karen. <laughs> Karen, thank you so much. It has been a delight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.